0: to Wood Talk for woodworkers by woodworkers. Now here are three guys who like to use a lot of words yet say nothing at all. Mark, Matt, and Shannon.
1: All right it's Wood Talk number 283 for November 16th 2015. On today's show we're talking about electrical outlets, dealing with swollen plywood dados, and evenly milling a board with knots. All that and more coming up but first let's hear a quick word from our sponsor Brusso Hardware. Brusso provides high quality American made woodworking hardware for your next project. As a special discount for new customers Wood Talk listeners can use the code WT2015 that uh, obviously stands for Wood Talk 2015 so WT2015 for 10% off of orders at bruso.com and check out Brusso's Facebook page today to see the latest video that they commissioned by Caleb Woodward. It shows a knife installation some of their best stuff that they make I love those things uh, on one of uh, Caleb's signature maelstrom cabinets so I have yet to watch this video but I think after the show I'm going to go over there and check it out and uh, we'll put the link to that maybe even just embed the video if it is embeddable you can just it's watch good. it.
2: It's the The whole point was you know they sell um, what you call it router templates to do those installs right? and uh, Caleb shows how to do it with a chisel.
1: Hey yo oh, well, old kinda- school install. I like that. Uh, and also we'd like to thank a few special folks who helped us out with contributions uh, Kyle Krasowski we've got a few here it's been a while since we did these I guess uh, Gary Badger Charmaine LaRocca Robert Zimmerman Mike Wittenauer Toliv Ree Eric Measels Measles you, you think they will? They probably pronounce it differently because you don't really want <laughs> Measles as your last name but it's awfully close to the spelling isn't it Eric yeah. Mies- Miesels?
0: It's it's like my my family's, my mother's maiden name is Minor with an ER at the end, but apparently it's French and the way that they would always pronounce it sounded more like Manure. manure. For some reason, the family did not (laughs) like being called a Manure family. (laughs) Understandable.
1: Uh, Also, Mark Berg and James Murchison, thank you so much, everybody, for helping us out with donations. And if you want to help out too, just go to woodtalkshow.com, look in that side column, and you'll see the links there for one time donations or recurring donations, which always help uh, support the show and keep the show going. And uh, let's see, while you're there, hey, check out the giveaway page. It's uh woodtalkshow.com/giveaway. Get yourself a t-shirt or something else, whatever we happen to be putting in there. All right, let's move into what's on the bench. I will go first. I am working on the gaming table still, and actually we're sort of uh, in the last lap on this one. I'm working on the accessories that go onto the accessory rail. So basically, like you make these base plates, drill a couple holes, put in the T bolts. They they slide in and kind of lock in, and that's the basis for all of the accessories you might want to build for this thing. Uh, so once those base plates are made, kind of you know you put a uh, groove in the base plate and then attach something to it. So it's like, do you want a cup oh. holder? Uh, do you want a a taco holder? Do you want like a book holder, nice. an iPad holder, whatever you want, as long as you can kind of fit it within the confines of that space. It's really, you know, your imagination is the limit. And I don't have much imagination, so I'm, I'm making like three things. <laughs> it's saying,
0: wow. it's saying like, here you go, my have fun prob- with it. My problem is my imagination would run so rampant with this, I'd have to have like a dozen tables for yeah. all the accessories. <laughs>
1: there you go. So yeah, I've got a cup holder. I've got a um, an iPad holder that's in the works and I've also got figured like if you wanted a big book on there, maybe you're a dungeon master or something like that Uh, or even Mm -hmm. I don't know, maybe a kid doing homework could could possibly be useful. So I've got one that's got a hinged piece that kind of flips back and creates a big like 12 inch by 14 inch platform for you to place a full size book on there, which is pretty cool. So hopefully, um, you know, that'll inspire people to come up with much, much better ideas than what I did. And uh, they can take it and run with it. So pretty excited about that. But uh,
2: you, you know, gotta have a custom chip and dip
1: bowl. <laughs> chip and dip bowl. Hmm. <laughs> <Chip> and That's <laughs> yeah. a good point. After one shaped like or a ghost. Yeah, there you go. I've got one of those. So can I just like <laughs> duct tape that to the sign?
0: <laughs> oh, great. Yeah. You have to have the, the hard candy bowl. And then, of course, like the uh, uh, caramel candy bowl or there you, go. You, know, you can break it down because you want certain bowl. candies to mix. Yeah. yeah. I think you need to have dispenser. a Facebook page dedicated to just accessories for the gaming table. I mean, this thing would just blow up.
2: <laughs> me, this this could be a single toe, uh, single toe, a single toe show.
1: Yeah, I love single toe shows. We could just talk about
2: <laughs> accessories for the gaming table and...
1: All the cool things we could do. It reminds me of um, Wayne's World, the Mobile, where they have like the the red vines dispenser in the ceiling. What's <laughs> <Gosh, laughs> well, something like does. that on there? <laughs> cool. All right. Well, uh, Shannon, what about you?
2: I have gotten no shop time whatsoever. It's terrible. Dang. It's awful. I'm I'm rebuilding literally from the ground up the Handel School website, and I'm mired in in custom post types and fun stuff like that but it's exciting it's very exciting it's um well i mean you you guys know you start a business and everything is completely bootstrapped and you do everything yourself and then when you're finally able to kind of turn around and reinvest into it and just do stuff that you never knew you could possibly do before so i'm excited for it that's hoping to get the new site up uh, we'll just say within 30 days (laughs) that's (laughs) that's as specific as i can get right now
1: cool that sounds good, man. I'm looking forward to it, and uh, I, you know, I respect you doing it yourself. I can't do that stuff anymore. <laughs>
2: oh no, no, I've got a developer. Believe me, I've got a developer. But there's there's some stuff that obviously when you've got that much content, yeah, I, you know, you I have can't to do expect the developer to go in and understand exactly what's a lesson, what's a semester, what goes under this post type, and yeah. So there's a lot of tweaking and moving stuff around, and yeah, yeah well, it's, cool. It's just nothing I could ever get a developer to do for me.
1: You know, and I knew you were working with a developer from past conversations, and I totally forgot. So sorry about yeah. that. Oh, that's <laughs> okay. My okay. bank account <laughs> knows I'm working with a developer too. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's whining and whimpering a little bit. Uh, down to zero again. Oh, okay, that's what happens when you pay other <laughs> like pay people for good work. Costs a yeah, lot of money. exactly. Cool. That's All when
0: right. you start asking the developer. Well, we're working on a net thirty with this uh, invoice, <laughs> right? Can we make it a net sixty? There you go. <laughs> nice. What about you, Matt? Well, I have uh, also, very similar to Shannon, not working on a, a website, though. I really have not had a lot of time to, unfortunately, get to the shop. I seriously have had moments where I just go down and stand in the doorway with the light on, sometimes with the light off, and just look longingly into there. <laughs> so Now, sad. earlier today, I had actually finished up a little bit of uh, some stuff I needed to do for ho- my home office day. Uh, actually, the other day I finished this up. And I was thinking, you know what, I keep going out on uh, – To my to to work, where I'm actually gonna be heading out now pretty soon doing code traveling with some coworkers. And I want a fancy pen. So I'm actually gonna finally dive in and turn a pen, which is usually how a lot of people first get started with the lathe. Now it's gonna be like my middle project. I'm like, you know, I did something complicated. I'm gonna make a pen. Cool. I should kind of round things out. So that is one of the things I was gonna do. In fact, before we started recording, I was out getting ready to get started on it and suddenly realized. Uh, because I am pen inexperienced, I didn't realize I don't have the right bushings to actually hold the pen blank in, in the middle properly. So it's on my list of now I need to – I have an excuse to head <laughs> to the uh, woodwork uh, woodworking retailer and pick up those bushings. So while I'm there, I'm sure I pick up other things that eventually will be like – I should really build that one project because I bought everything for it and I'm not doing it yet. You know, I
2: don't think there's another area of woodworking that's more gadgety than pin turning. You know, there's plenty of little gadgets out there like change your saw blade by using this orange thing, you know, but pen turning my god i mean there's there's you need a bushing for this and a bushing for that and oh and you need this special ca immune bushing so you can finish your pin without gluing it to the mandrel and you need a special mandrel and well like, don't
1: they oh have like god. little uh, contraptions that you use to to accurately push the things into the the pen yes. itself like yes. to, to seat it properly yeah, yep. nice. yeah i got catalogs one, like,
0: dedicated to pen turning basically like
1: uh, penn state industries <laughs> right Yes, but uh, I mean, they got a lot of
0: stuff. For There's a whole industry uh, named after it. Yeah, it was funny because <laughs> earlier today I was looking at uh, the particular model of pen that I picked up and I, I found, of course, several videos on YouTube, which I do not plan. I just want to let everybody know. I'm not planning on recording this because I just really want to knock this out of the way before I, I get out on the road again uh, and on top of it. Like I was about to say, there's so many versions of pen turning, and especially this particular model that I picked up. Uh, But while I was watching some of those, I didn't have a chance to quickly, you know, like a a video ends and then suddenly the next one starts up right away. Well, I didn't have a chance to stop that next one starting up. And it was, and I'm thinking of all my hunter friends, it was making a pen from deer antlers. Mm -hmm. And I have got a lot of friends now that suddenly discovered deer hunting, which living in Michigan, I don't know how you suddenly discover deer hunting, especially if you're <laughs> from Michigan. I mean, there's a whole season and practically a holiday dedicated to it. Yeah. So I saw that and I was thinking, well, I've got one friend who recently, I think, just killed his his first deer and he's been celebrating with the, the antlers. So I'm like, you know, if you want to, after seeing that video, I just might make you a pen if you give me some of the antler.
1: Nice. That'd be cool. That's okay. a good way to commemorate it. Commemorate yeah, I, I'm going to give
0: her like that. Yeah. At the same time, though, you can go to a pet
2: store and buy antlers for the dogs yeah. to chew on and they sell them for like 20 bucks a piece. So there's a there's a money making opportunity there for your friend. They really? I had no idea. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, my my old my golden Alex loved those things. Is that good and for their teeth, too? Yeah, it was, nice. it was good for his breath too. It was like milk bones, oh, but they they Where are we going to go get antlers? You know, so we go to the pet store and like to buy one big enough for him. It was like twenty dollars a piece. He'd be done with it in about two hours. And you just <laughs> just right? hey, money well spent. Good.
1: You're just buy you know, your dog like, like a full. At, at, oh,
0: go ahead. At, Matt. Uh, some of the hunting stores, like what is the the big one? So this is how. Actually, I shouldn't really talk because I am not a hunter living in Michigan, but I know hunters, so it's okay. Um, <laughs> some of my like best friends the, are hunters already yeah, right, exactly what yeah, season exactly. to wear orange. <laughs> well, yeah, there's a lot of them that you actually have to. Uh, it's whether you want to get an arrow in the chest or a bullet or even a musket. <laughs> um, but anyway, so you can actually head to some of these stores and they have like the antlers because I guess when you're out in the woods, you have to like rub them together. And that somehow like once the, the deer will come at you, I don't understand that one. Usually when I rub two things together, either, either fire happens or I break one of them. Mm. Um, but yeah, so I, I don't know if those are real antlers or if they're plastic. I'm sure we'll hear about it and kick back one way or the other.
1: Rubbing antlers sounds romantic.
0: It does. It does. Yeah. When you're out in the woods, you're like, oh, (laughs) there's two bucks rubbing antlers. Look at that.
1: How nice. (laughs) All right. Let's move into what's new. Um, I ran across a new audio podcast, and you guys know with woodworking audio content, kind of comes and goes. Uh, there's been a lot of phases over the years and some great ones have uh, come and gone and then new ones pop up every once in a while. So um, I think we're kind of getting back to a little bit of a resurgence here uh, with some some really good quality podcasts right now. And the new one I just came across, I honestly don't even remember how I, I came across it, probably my Twitter feed, is the Reclaimed Audio podcast. And uh, three gentlemen, Phil Pinsky, Tim Sway and Bill Lutz do a really good job and they're clearly focused on what the title says, reclaimed materials and using those to make better things, newer, better things. And they're very, uh, it's very eco conscious sort of uh, a group of people. And uh, fun hmm. to listen to. It's a perspective on uh, making things that I honestly don't have a whole lot of experience with. Most of the things I make do involve new materials. So it's it's nice to listen to a, a whole different viewpoint uh, on making stuff. And uh, very good podcast, very, you know, good audio quality. Everything is there that you need to be there in a good podcast. So check it out. Uh, we'll put the link to the iTunes uh, subscription if you want to subscribe there. And maybe we'll put like a link to their SoundCloud page or whatever if you just want to take a quick listen. Nice. Cool. Yeah, it's I'll good check stuff. Check that out.
2: Interestingly enough I thought it was like uh like reclaimed audio literally
1: like <laughs>
2: using audio from anthrocast about source. like reusing audio I was like that's not sure I'm interested
0: in that, but okay. <laughs> it's it a highlight show, is what well it is. So is we, the audio quality you know, good on the reclaimed audio podcast? It's improved. Yes, exactly. We're using borrowed airwaves. There you but, you know, speaking of reclaim, I feel like I'm reclaiming my spot on the show right now from Matt Cremona last week, which actually made me think it felt more like I was in one of those Rob Lowe direct TV commercials. Like, "Hi, I'm Matt. I chortle and I like tacos. Yeah. Hi, I'm Matt and I like." picking up wood and making beautiful <laughs> things and having really awesome yeah. this and it's, it's just hi like i'm those, skinny matt <laughs> yeah. yeah exactly yeah hi i am much skinnier matt and then i'll just come out with like hi i'm taco matt taco <laughs> matt, taco <laughs> matt.
1: <laughs> mm. like mm. there's it's a recurring idea. theme for tacos yeah. on this show you'll find out later you can have a welcome <laughs> mat or you can have a taco mat? That sounds
2: awesome. Ooh. Nice. Why it's would like you jump to conclusions, man? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Anyway, so uh, have you guys heard that there's a new woodworking magazine coming? It's it's only when Mortis? you talk about it. Yeah. Only. Yeah. Only right now. It's called Mortis and Tenon Magazine. Only on my
0: Facebook feed.
2: <laughs> Joshua Klein is the mastermind behind this, and it's a uh, you know journal. I think would be more appropriate than magazine. It's a uh, um, very very high quality like printing and paper. I don't believe he's doing ads or anything like that. It's more of like a, you know... Well, like the Society of American Period Furniture Makers, their annual journal magazine. Mm-hmm. So Joshua is very, very close to releasing the first issue. So you can actually go to his website, com and you can do pre-orders. So I don't know exactly when. I think he's shooting for the end of the year or sometime before the end of the year, but you can put in your pre-order for the magazine. There's also a cool little video there so you can see what it's all about. But It's, it's one of those fun... Artisanal
0: woodworking videos.
1: Oh, I um, love
0: artisanal stuff.
1: I'm interested to see what they what they do because they do have a sponsorship situation. So they're saying instead of inundating the magazine with loads of advertisements, uh, we decided to take a sponsorship model. It's a tasteful and unobtrusive way to highlight the mutual endorsement. Bah, 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 bah. Uh, um, but I'm I very sponsored.
2: G- them. The Hand Tool School is the sponsor.
1: So um, where where do you get listed as a sponsor? Just on the website or in the on publication? the website,
2: and it'll be in the the magazine. But I, I think it's one of those things where they kind of put it
1: like a single page. Yeah. Cool. That's uh, so, interesting. That's anyway, a very it's cool. Just, way to he's do it. got
2: I've I've got a little of a, an idea of uh where he's going, what kind of articles he's doing. Um it's very much kind of bringing the uh museum curator together with the woodworker. So um there's definitely gonna be a bent of uh probably period furniture to this magazine, but I could also be Totally wrong. So yeah. <laughs> who knows? I do know that Joshua is at Winterthur right now, um, in the Domini workshop, and they've actually let him like behind the glass, and he's like crawling around under the workbenches. <laughs> Basically, the same thing that anybody who's ever been to the Winterthur Museum has wanted to do. He's doing it right now.
0: Wow, very cool. <laughs> very. You know, I've always thought like with a sponsorship for a magazine, isn't when you're a subscriber, isn't that like being a sponsor? You're saying I like you so much, I want to pay for you up front.
1: In the Patreon model, yeah, I guess so, huh? Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. I mean, I realize that to actually be a sponsor uh, versus subscriber, you probably need to pay more. But anyways, though, <laughs> I, although, would hope I so. guess that's probably <laughs> one
2: of the issues with the print magazine thing is the you would think that the subscribers would cover the cost to make the magazine, but I don't think it does. <laughs> <laughs> right. That's maybe why that's that's why the print magazines are having trouble right now
1: but you know what at the same not to get off on a tangent on this stuff but at the same time i think someone re re-envisioning what a print magazine quote-unquote could be and doing it from a grassroots kind of low overhead methodology i think there it might be able to survive i think in, in traditional print right now there's a lot of fat that could be trimmed no you know no offense I'm not saying they're overweight mm-hmm. i'm saying you know you know what i'm saying um yeah. Th- yeah, i yeah. Think well, yeah, it,
0: there's the occasional ad that you're like what is that it's like when you go to a particular type of conference uh that has nothing to do with shoe inserts and then there's the shoe inserts like i was right. actually at a comic con and there was shoe insert booth and i'm like do they have Superheroes on them? <laughs> yeah. Well,
1: I think a lot of these old print companies are, are big businesses, you know, and you tend to, with especially old business, you tend to have a lot of overhead and unnecessary expenses that go into that thing surviving. And that's just, they only know one way to do things, you know, so someone coming from the ground up, I'm, I'm just business-wise interested, uh, along with the content, interested to see what this thing is going to do.
0: Absolutely. Just the fact that something new is coming out. Awesome. Word. <laughs> hey, speaking of new, uh, we just got this uh, link that came in. In fact, it was earlier today. I saw this over on Facebook, uh, and Robert left a link I believe it was on on my Facebook page to the wood bodied game boy have you seen this is pretty pretty darn neat it was over at Gizmodo and it looks like somebody just went ahead kind of took the game boy apart a little bit and created it into what looks almost like a rather large like ring box kind of thing like you open it up there's the screen and you can play your favorite game boy uh, game I don't I didn't read the article enough to see if you can swap out the games if it's just one particular one uh but it's it's pretty nifty
1: Looking at it now. That is awesome. I love when people do stuff yeah. like that. Gut it and put it back into a cool looking case. Very nice.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, all right. all um, wooden hinge. Everything is gorgeous. Can't
1: beat that. Uh, next one here is from Pete. He says a guy on YouTube just released a video showing how barrel staves used to be made. And uh, that's exactly what it is.
0: You like, <laughs> you, you like that? Or yeah, That is good. That's straight to the point. That's an Literally. intro right there. <laughs> that is what it is. <laughs> Did I sell okay. it? <laughs> <laughs> thank you very much moving on well the next one we have here is uh, John Perlow now have, did you guys see this yesterday it was becoming a huge hit all over the place I saw people sharing this I know I shared it oh yeah uh, I've rocked out do to it several th- times I know. I actually, I deliberately showed it to Sam like two times. She was, I already saw it. I'm like, yeah, let's watch it again. <laughs> uh, but so John Peril share, shared a music box video that has little to do with woodworking, other than the backdrop is a fire pile. But it's pretty darn cool. Uh, and it's a uh, what do you like a, an organ of some sort, and the music moves across it, and it. Just Shannon, I'm sure you know the proper term for this particular organ. Being in the music background that you have, or having the oh, music background that you have,
2: it's a crank organ, a pipe there organ. There you go. I don't know,
0: organ grinder. I don't know. That's there you go. But anyways, sure. it's a nice. Uh, uh, he plays uh, "Smooth Criminal" by Michael Jackson, and even if you're not a Michael Jackson fan, just watching the video, you'll be like, that's cool.
1: Do 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 do. get it started. Don't do it. Don't do it. (laughs) My head is the 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 show and
0: I might actually have to like talk like in in that way or not. You should or not. Someone
1: rang the doorbell. Hopefully the dogs won't bark. All right.
2: This (laughs) uh, next one. I don't actually remember where it came from. I know I put it in the show notes, but uh, it is a counterweighted sitting and standing desk. So standing desks are all the rage, but then people are like, yeah, I'd love to have one, but I'd like to sit down every now and then. This is, it's just a really cool design. Um, I actually went ahead and subscribed to the YouTube channel because it was like, if he can make this, I want to see what else he can do. But it's this this great counterweight pattern where you you just pull a little unlock lever and you can lift the the desk all the way up to standing height. And it swings, the counterweight swing in, it lifts nice and effortlessly. He then goes and locks it and like start doing these weight test things nice. <laughs> with like a kettlebell and himself. And testing that it's not going to break and of course it's flexing like crazy which is a little unnerving to see but still the action of this is really really smooth so it's a cool video to check out i'm excited to see what else he comes up with
1: nice that is it's one of those
2: very, engineers very cool. turned woodworker that just blows your mind
0: good deal very very cool Sweet. Well, speaking of blowing your mind, well, maybe I'll just like this one. Shane just sent this in, and he said he wanted to share a little project that his son was over the moon for. And if you follow this again, it's over at YouTube. Uh, Shane created a Minecraft computer desk, and I have to say it's pretty neat. And just a few years ago, it would have blown Aiden's mind, but now you need to have something with a dungeon and a dungeon master to blow his mind.
1: He uh, so he doesn't. How long does he stick with his hobbies and interests? Because he was into uh, he was into the. Uh, my Little
0: Pony thing for a little while, right? Yep. Yeah. He was, uh, when he went through his brony phase. Yeah. He typically stays with stuff for about at least somewhere, we'll say about two years. That's two not too bad. So. I think, not too bad for a yeah, teenage no. boy. Yeah. Because uh, Lego was the longest. Uh, uh, that one went on for, see, how many times did I have to go to the doctor have stuff removed from my feet? And <laughs> then that one time. <laughs> So that was for a while, but yeah, so he'll usually (laughs) stick with stuff nowadays as he's heading into it deeper into his teen years. Uh, Two years seems to be about the max.
1: When you're talking about going to the doctor, I'm thinking of the whole one in a million chance, Doc. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, You guys know what I'm talking about. Uh, All right, I'll grab this last one here. Um, So Woodworking in America, just recently, uh, I think Megan put this up on Facebook just as a, hey, check it out. Uh, Next year, they'll be back in Covington, Kentucky, and it will be a September uh, 16th through 18th show, and that's going to be a good time. So if you heard a lot about Woodworking in America this past year, um, here's the great thing. They actually have classes there, too. (laughs) <laughs> what? Because I'm guessing if you saw the social response, uh, you probably thought all it was was the show floor and a bunch of people shaking hands and taking selfies. But it actually is an educational show with a lot uh, going for it. So if you're in the area, who knows? This may be uh, another time for all of us. I mean, we're so familiar with that location now. It's almost yeah. like, I don't know anything well, about you, Kentucky. That was but one like of the that. weak
2: spots I heard of this year's show was the location was kind of a whole lot of walking. It was really oh. spread out. And, and this you know, northern... Cincinnati Convention Center and coming to Kentucky. It's just a great location. I think yeah. it's probably the best one they've had.
1: you got multiple um, hotels yeah. right there, lots of places yeah. to eat within walking distance. We've gone to a number of the, the restaurants over there. So mm, like once you park, like if you, if you drive there, mm. once you park, mm. you are just keep your car in the parking lot or the parking garage. You don't need to actually take it out to get anywhere. So... Uh, uh, And
0: if you do have to go someplace, typically the uh, mass transit uh, in the form of a trolley bus is usually a pretty reasonable way to get around.
1: Yeah, and there's also a White Castle for those who uh, want an excuse to get out of doing things.
0: And (laughs) thankfully, it's far enough away that by the time they get back, usually whatever uh, stomach issues they've had as a result of the White Castle have cleared up. Well, that's the thing.
1: It's a little bit of a walk, so good luck getting back in time. Um, yeah so I, this this promises to be a good one I've missed the last two and I don't know that I could like call myself a uh, a social woodworker without going to this next one so <laughs> nice. uh, you know what maybe we'll uh, this this will be a good time to do another Wood Talk meetup um, that went really well the last time we were in Kentucky yeah, together so maybe we'll do that again more importantly it's I don't know it wasn't do that
2: great late night recording in uh, Mark's hotel room
1: oh yes <laughs> right. I wonder if I'll be rooming with Tom again that was fun too. <laughs> oh he, was, he was actually a good roommate, uh, but because yeah, he was never there, uh, right? Yeah, that would be cool, man. We should we should totally plan this, make it happen. Let's commit because if we right. commit, then we can't like back out of it.
0: And preferably, people will pay for my bill because the last time I had to pay for my own, that just wasn't fun. That's
1: just terrible that you got to do that. Wood uh, right. Wood Talk will sponsor it. How about that? Now, now we just okay. have to make enough money to, to right. do that.
2: Do, you
1: do you know of a separate bank account that uh, yeah. you've been hiding from us I here? see the money let's... come in. I know what's going on, and there ain't enough there. Um, all right, let's move into our kickback. First of all, we got a lot of good feedback on um, our new buddy, Matt Cremona, subbing in on the show My for Matt. Cremona. Yeah, he did a great job. Had a lot of fun chatting with him. I think he brings a pretty cool perspective and some folks are calling for him to come back again. And uh we might yeah. just do that depending on the schedule. But obviously well, we've for got shoes all of you
2: who've submitted questions about working with logs and like how to deal with like a, a wood miser. Yeah, yeah, we're just ignoring those questions until Matt comes back. Yeah, <laughs> we're gonna save it for Matt. <laughs> That's exactly it. Uh but I'll tell <laughs> I'll you have what. a whole section in the scrap
1: pile of those questions that we're just ignoring. Waiting for Matt Cremona. Right. I'm thinking, you know, ideally I'd like to have some other people on uh, as well uh, before we swing back to to Matt. So I'm going to probably contact a couple other common, like not common, famous. Is that the right word? YouTubers? people well-known youtubers uh out there and see if they want to sit in on the show just like matt did um just you know it's fun to hear that uh that other voice that's not one of the three of us um people who do things very differently than we do it's nice to have a a different perspective on the show you don't even have to be named matt we'll just call you matt well yeah yeah you
0: have to answer to it it, it. (laughs) right because it does help out with the introduction uh so that's the main reason and you know what and i paid five dollars for that introduction. I'm not about to pay $5 again. So, <laughs> Right. Yeah. Could you imagine if to pay $5 for every guest host that came on, that just yeah. you that know could what, add up. I mean, that would there really there cut into profit the margin. in America. Seriously. Yeah. I'll tell you what, though.
1: does this website Fiverr still exist? I haven't been there in a long time, but that's what I used I so. to, to do that.
0: Fiverr is up to, it's 550 or Yeah. Now. It's inflation. They had to up it up a little bit. Yeah.
1: It's only natural. Uh, all right. Next thing we have here is from, Oddly enough, someone named Matt says regarding regulations for children's products. This was in reference to Matt Cremona's uh, crib build, and we were talking about the the legal ramifications of building your own crib and, and doing it by the the whatever they list as the standard things you're supposed to do. Matt mentioned that he followed the uh, CPSC guidelines for cribs, but indicated that they did not contain information for child safe finishes. Regulations for child-safe finishes in terms of allowable chemical content like uh, lead, phthalates, uh, cadmium, et cetera, would be found under the Consumer Product Safety Improvement Act, CPSIA, as well as the California Prop 65. Reading and attempting to select a finish based on these will give you a migraine and are not worth the investment in time. <laughs> um, Matt apparently deals with these as part of his day job. Sticking with FDA-approved food-safe finishes such as salad bowl finish was a smart choice. Good deal. Okay. Good enough. Matt. Are
0: you sleeping? Yeah. Yeah. Sorry about that. I was, <laughs> I, well, I assumed you were giving me information, so I was writing it down. But oh, okay. Then I realized, no, it was uh, uh, other Matt. So anyways, this one came in from Andy and he says, when it comes to planes, you cannot just select a plane based on the length of the board. Planes have different functions. Smoothing is like a number two, three, four, jack plane number five, and joiners number six, seven, eight. I'm not sure you really answered his question. Ooh. So like you need tool, what you, are you planning on doing? And select the correct tool for the job. Uh, now, I know this was not a question that I answered because I haven't been here for <laughs> a while. Matt doesn't even know what we're
2: talking no, about. This one's squarely aimed at me. <laughs> Them yeah. and I, actually, I actually already replied to this because oh, okay. uh, this came out of the comments right. from our, our website. Yeah. And I, I can say nothing other than I completely disagree. I mean, <laughs> and
0: I was going to say I completely disagree with that before Shannon would have a chance to disagree with it, but you already disagreed, so I'm going to back yeah. you up.
2: Well, I mean, this is the problem, and I think I brought this up in the last show. Like, I tend to not know the names of things, or I can't remember what the actual Stanley number is because I I, I don't care. Um, you know, yes, traditionally I will say not just two, three, and four, but one, two, three, and four are are known as smoothing planes, but you know the function of the plane is whatever you want it to be. You can smooth with the joiner plane. You can joint with a smoothing plane. It's all based upon how flat do you want it to be. You know, a joiner plane makes a board really flat. It does that really well because it's got a nice long sole, and you can get the board flat to within whatever the depth of your cut is. So if you're, you know, five thousandths of an inch uh, cutting depth, you can get your board flat to within five thousandths of an inch over the length of the sole of that joiner plane, 22 inches in that case. A smoothing plane can do the exact same thing, but it's only going to flat over the length of the smoothing plane. And smoothers are great for getting in and cleaning up surfaces because they can ride in between those hills and valleys and things like that. But if you've got an 8-inch long board, are we? Are you saying, therefore, you've got to pick up a 22-inch long joiner plane to flatten it because it's a joiner plane and you can't use a smoothing plane to do that? No, you pick your plane based upon the length of the sole in relation to the board. Certainly, you consider the function as well, but I think those two are
0: closely related. So, who on you. You know, I'm... A- I am going to go out on a limb, and uh, I don't mean to uh, offend Andy, but I have a feeling Andy falls into this group that is very much the um, – and many of our, our listeners are like this, so I'm going to offend a whole group, large group of all of you. Uh, are <laughs> Welcome very back, much, <laughs> uh, I was totally told once that you have to do this, so therefore you will always do it, or because it's named this, you can only use it for this action. Uh, I think in woodworking, like a lot of things in life, sometimes you can use things that were intended – or named for a certain other uh, job or task, and you can use it for whatever you have on hand, whatever works best for you. So sorry if I offend you, Andy, or the other large group of people who you know who you are. You know exactly who you are. Uh, but sometimes, you know what? Just just use what works. Cool. All safely right.
1: though. We've got another piece of feedback here from my buddy Rick Urschel. He's the guy who does the uh, a couple video series with him on our website. One was the Wooden Gear Clock and we had a voicemail last week I think it was that asked if you could use like the smallest bandsaw blade available to make those wooden gear cuts and I said based on what I saw in the video that I didn't think it would be a good idea and Rick, the guy who actually did the work, has a much more informed opinion on this. <laughs> and here's, What? Yeah, you know, I was wrong which happens probably once a day. All right, here we go.
3: (laughs) Hey, Mark, maybe Matt and Shannon. It's Rick Herschel, the guy who made the clock video, and I'm calling in response to the gentleman who called a few weeks ago with the question regarding cutting gears for his wooden clock on the bandsaw. The short answer is it is absolutely possible to do this, and some could probably argue that it's safer than a jigsaw, since the blade is always pushing down into the table, oscillating up and down. When it comes to wooden clock gears, there are really only two major things you have to make sure you get right. First and most important is that the teeth are absolutely concentric with the center of the hole. Any eccentricity and the gear will tend to bind, which is not a good thing. The second thing to be careful about is making the size of the tooth as close to perfect as possible. If you're using a template, and I assume that he is, glued to plywood to cut the gears, you'll have a line drawn, uh, a line drawing of the outline of the gear. The goal is to try and cut the line basically in half. It's okay to undercut the line just a little bit because cloud gearing is only ever going to have force applied in one direction, so backlash really isn't an issue here. The thing that you don't have to be overly concerned about at all is the shape of the bottom of the tooth since it has no real bearing on the operation of the gear. Having said all that, when cutting teeth on the bandsaw, it's best to get as small a blade as possible. And by small here, I mean narrow, shallow, high tooth count, etc., when cutting teeth on the bandsaw, I've had the most luck doing the right side of all the teeth first, then coming back and cutting all the left side of the teeth, and then coming back to basically nibble out all the waste. Since the bottom of the tooth doesn't have to be super clean, just be sure to nibble away enough waste to get rid of the pattern line. You'll be left with a gear that has sharp, pointy teeth. From here, you can press a pin in the long board and mount the gear on the pin. Take it to the disc sander, and clean up the outside diameter of the gear. If you don't have a disc sander, no problem. Clamp the board to the bandsaw and just use it like a circle-cutting jig. There's no doubt it's super tedious, repetitive, boring work. My general recommendation would be that you do your best Jeff Lebowski impression, but drinking White Russians and operating power tools is probably a bad mix. So just put on your favorite Wood Talk podcast, fix yourself a cup of relaxing tea, and do your best to think about anything other than how many more teeth you have to cut. Hope that helps, and you gentlemen have a great day.
1: Cool, and this is why we have friends, because we yeah. don't uh, we don't know everything, that's for sure. Uh, we also mm-hmm. have – go ahead. You are going to say something,
0: Matt? No, say- I was actually chortling in a different manner, <laughs> so that's probably what threw you off. It's more
1: like a chiggle. Like a chortle game. I'm actually
2: just hoping that Rick's little comment of sharp pointy teeth was a direct allusion to Monty Python's Holy Grail. (laughs)
1: Yeah. It sounded like
2: it. It sounded like he paused for applause there or something.
1: Right. Uh, All right. Next one here is a quick tip about tacos for Matt.
2: Matt,
4: I hear you have a dilemma with tacos and making a mess and I have your solution. The answer is a soft taco shell on your plate. Okay, you have your tacos, you have your plate, you have a mess. What are you going to do? You got to clean it up with a fork, maybe some tortilla chips. No, you lay a soft taco shell on your plate. As you eat, the taco remnant's fall, bonus taco. Here's an extra tip. Get a soft taco shell, make it into a bib. You know, get creative. That's all.
0: Very nice. You know, I nice uh, actually found that putting a second soft shock hotel, shock hotel? Shock taco taco shell, taco <laughs> shell, nice taco shell is what happens when I go in for my uh, plus forty men's uh, physical examination with a doctor. <laughs> nice. Uh, but anyway, so so if I put a second taco soft taco shell yeah. underneath the first one, what ends up happening is when I inevitably still spill some of them out during the second taco, I have a third one to back me up. I think this is called chain tacoing.
1: <laughs> yeah, that is. That's when, that you know,
0: that's when you know you have a problem. But it's not It's not bad G-toc for you at issue. all.
1: It's very good for you. All right, moving into our voicemail here. We got one from Eric from Brooklyn concerning pore filling. I know it's here somewhere. There it is.
4: Hey, guys. Uh, this is Eric from Brooklyn, New York. I have a question about pore filling and grain filling. Uh, I know there's a bunch of products out there that I can use, but I kind of have my heart set on using the oil varnish slurry method. Um, I don't know why. I think it's because I just have those things available, and that's just what I want to use, and I want to make it work. But I haven't been able to do it just yet. I'm working with walnut right now, unstained, and I would like to do it later on stained red oak. And so my question is, um, how, at what point in time do I do it? Do I put on an oil varnish mixture beforehand and then do it on the second coat? Or do I do it with the first coat that I put it on? Uh, what grit do I sand beforehand? What grit do I sand while I'm creating the slurry? How long do I sand? And then once I'm done sanding, how long do I let the slurry dry on there? Or do I immediately wipe it off? And then when I wipe it off, I put more oil on top of that. I'm just kind of confused about the exact process of doing it. And, you know, I I realize a lot of people probably already know how to do this, but I would love it if you would just hold my hand through this. Um, And then, of course, if you have uh, a better method of doing it, I'd love to hear that as well afterwards, of course. Um, Okay. Thanks, guys. Bye.
1: All right, so pore filling is just one of those things. You know, there people have different preferences, and there's a lot of different methods to doing it. One of my least favorite to do is this oil slurry and if you don't understand what that is basically you would use something like a Danish oil contains both you know varnish and oil so you have a lot of time to work with it before it starts to harden up and get tacky so if you take a sanding block maybe some wet dry paper sand the surface you're creating dust and that dust is mixing with the oil varnish blend and then that's sitting down into the open pores on the wood so it's kind of a cool way to get the color match you want using probably the finish you would be using anyway as you are pushing that that sanding dust down into those pores. What I don't like about it is it's it's an unpredictable process. It kind of takes a lot of applications to get to the point that it's truly pore filled. So you go through all this work when, you know, you could look at some other uh, commercial pore filling products that are on the market and you could have just done one coat, maybe two at the most. And those things are now filled with a material that isn't going to shrink over time uh, because that's one of the other issues. If you fill it with wood dust and a varnish product, over time as the varnish shrinks, you may wind up seeing those pores kind of show themselves again. So that's why I like to actually have a a material that's meant for that purpose and use that instead. Now, you know, it does create all kinds of problems. He mentioned doing it on a stained oak situation, right? I think he said stained. Stained. Uh that makes me a little bit nervous because how are you supposed to sand the surface if you're staining? And if you do the filling process before the stain, you're now putting something that's, you know, partially sealing the surface on top of the wood and it's not going to really like your stain very much. You know, so uh, honestly, my advice is to, like give it a shot. Take a few boards, try it out, experiment with it and really decide if that's what you want to do uh, because it is a little bit more involved and longer. But the way I look at it is you kind of are applying, you know, you could do this without pore filling. You could just kind of sand a coat of finish, especially with one you have a lot of working time with. You can sand it into the surface and then wipe off the excess and that kind of smooths the wood at the same time. You're just doing an extended version of that. So you have to use the sandpaper as many times as it takes for that surface to feel like you've actually filled the pores. And that's not something I can give you an exact timetable on. There's a number of factors involved. I'd probably use like I don't know, maybe 220, 320. 320 would be good. Probably your lowest uh, wet wet, dry grit you'll find in, in all likelihood. you could probably find 220, but I'd go with 320 because you're really trying to smooth it and create a fine dust mixture there, Um, but use that with a sanding block. Apply as many coats as it takes for you to feel that the pores are adequately filled, and then at that time, you could proceed adding as many extra coats as you want on top of it or switch to like a full-strength varnish or something after that completely cures, so you want at least a few days on it. Um, Because it is an oil varnish blend, you're probably looking at at least a 24-hour wait time between applications, but if you touch the surface and it feels tacky to your hands, it's not ready to coat again. So that's all part of the unpredictable nature of this type of process. So honestly, you're going to have to experiment a lot on this just to see what's going to work for you and uh, for, for the type of material that you're working with. But if you want to get into the commercial blends, there's a lot of pore fillers out there, TimberMate, Make some fantastic ones that are all water-based, and uh, even if the can dries, you just put a little water on it, kind of reactivates. Uh, I find that I've got the best luck with with TimberMate products. There's also a clear one, and I'm spacing on the name. What is it? Aqua something, right? Am I right, guys? Aqu-
0: aqua Marine,
1: Aqua Coat. That's what it is. Not Aqua Marine. Not Aqua Velva. Aqua Velva. <laughs> to it. Uh No, Aqua Aqua Coat. Wait, did I just say that? Yeah, Aqua Coat. And the great thing about this stuff is it dries clear. Whereas the Timber mate, you have to find the right color, right? You're going to fill those pores. You better make sure if you're doing walnut that you have something that looks like walnut. Well, if you use a clear pore filler, whatever wood species you're using shows through that clear layer and you don't have a problem with color matching. So you may want to check out Aqua Coat as a uh, alternative. Um, you guys have anything to add to that? I figured I would tackle it since it's uh, finishing focused.
0: Nope. I have always <laughs> opted to go with the open pore look instead <laughs> simply because it sounds like a lot of work even that's, though if it's really not it's i just
1: prefer that yeah. Cool. <laughs> yeah yeah all right well that's uh, kind of what it comes down to
0: i just choose the wood that
2: doesn't need to be filled and build stuff <laughs> that's
1: why that. i use cherry instead <laughs> exactly <All right>. well, <laughs> now is a very good time to hear from our friends at tablelegs.com Let's face it, folks, sometimes we could use a little help on our projects. Maybe it's a project part that requires a tool you don't have, or maybe you haven't gotten to the point that you're ready to tackle a new skill. Or perhaps it's just a matter of expedience and you need help meeting a deadline. Thankfully, there's a company that caters to your needs, TableLegs.com. They offer a wide variety of project parts and much more than just table legs. How about custom tabletops, columns, architectural components, finials, stair parts, and even 50 plus furniture feet from four inches to 12 inches high. And of course, they have tons of legs in various turn styles. So don't let that one project part keep you from making your next masterpiece. You can get free shipping on your first order over $50 by typing in the code WOODTALK into the special instructions box on the online order form or mention WOODTALK when you call to order. I know many of you don't have lathes, so you might look into their custom turnings in styles ranging from colonial to cabriole, mission style to mid-century modern. When you order online at TableLegs.com, your parts will be carefully grain and color matched, sanded smooth, and carefully boxed for safe rapid delivery to your door. And speaking of delivery, don't forget the free shipping offer on your first order over $50 using the code WOODTALK. All parts feature a 100% money back guarantee. At TableLegs.com, you'll find plenty of free, helpful tips and drawings on the best practices for making furniture with their components, and 95% of what they sell is made in Vermont's Northeast Kingdom by their staff of 30. Check out TableLegs.com and remember to use that code WOODTALK for free shipping on your first order over $50. That's TableLegs.com. All right, well, let's get into our emails. I'll take the first one here from Mark with a K. He spells his name funny. Uh, I'm in the process of building a new workshop, 17 by 20, and would appreciate any suggestions you would have on the location of outlets above, in the wall, floor, and amperage. All right, so this is not something that I pretend to have any sort of um, really good knowledge about other than my personal experience. And I when I built my shop, I kind of on paper said here's what I want, here's what I think will be useful, and then we implemented it and now I've been living with it for a couple of years so I can kind of give you that perspective. I did all of the above, like everything he mentioned because the bottom line is outlets outlets everywhere because the the reality is you could plan your shop in any way you think like on paper, oh this is the perfect shop layout. But I can guarantee you within six months, you'll be moving things around. Um, it's not until you're actually in the space that you realize where things are best located. And even then, just maybe you add a new tool or you do something different, you start to realize there's it's that evolution we always talk about, right, guys? That like you you always want to move something and put something in a better spot. It just never ends. So when it comes to your power options, that's the kind of thing you have to think about not accommodating exactly what you have on that piece of paper, but accommodating multiple versions of your shop. So outlets aren't that expensive, you know, and if you've got the guy in there uh, uh, or gal running running your wires for you, uh, it's really not going to increase the cost that much uh, to to put in extra outlets. So I say go ahead. More, the more the merrier. And what okay. I wound up doing was putting, um, I don't know the distance between them, but you want them periodically along your walls. Uh, not just 110 power, and I believe I have uh, 20-amp circuits on all the 110, Uh, but I also put 220 at each location. So I've got a a 220 outlet, and right next to it, I've got a 110, or at least nearby. Uh, The 220s, I have a mix, you know, because the problem is with your 220, a lot of times it's either 20-amp or 30-amp, and you don't know until you buy the tool. Um, I think most you know most stuff that you're going to get for a small shop single sh- woodworker shop is probably going to be 20 amp but there are a few like you know maybe a 5 horsepower table saw um, right. you know a big old band saw some of those you're going to want a 30 amp circuit on um, really i guess if you're kind of just belt and suspenders and making sure you're you're fu- future proofed make everything 30 amp right and then if you need to you can always put something that's 20 amp on that 30 amp line Uh, as opposed to doing it the other way and uh, over-taxing a 20-amp line. Uh, But I like to have a mixture, you know, and most of mine are 20, but I do have some some 30-amp there. So the wall ones, it's just a matter of frequency. I've got as many as I could, you know, reasonably put, uh, and then the ceiling... Well, there's not that much going on in the ceiling at least for me. I've got a, a mm-hmm. I've got one of those like extension cord deals on one side of the shop and I've got an air cleaner on the other side of the shop. Both of those have a simple 110 outlet chilling out up there. I don't power my tools with those things except for the one that turns into a big extension cord. So those are largely convenience, not absolutely essential, but if you want an air cleaner, it's great not to have to run a cord, you know, down a wall and you know, first of all to the wall and then down the wall to an outlet. The other thing is in floor. In floor is one of the hardest to commit to because, again, go back to that evolution thing. What if you want to move something one foot to the left and you're now, your tool (laughs) is right over the damn outlet, right? It's very difficult to know exactly where your stuff is going to go, so placing those floor outlets can be very risky. But if you get them right, the payoff is there. So I've got my, like my table saw and my jointer are clustered together. Both of those 220 outlets right in the floor, and I, I nailed it. It's exactly where it needs to be between those two tools. So I'm not tripping over cords. Uh, I have really short lengths of uh, you know power going to these tools, so I don't have a whole bunch of cords wound up, and it makes it really efficient. It's a nice setup, but you got to be really, really picky about those and those are going to be the most expensive to run too uh, because you're going to have to run a conduit in the ground first and make sure that's done before your concrete is put in before your slab goes in so yeah there's a lot to think about but the one thing i just want you to keep in mind is things are going to change and the, the more flexible your setup is the better off you're going to be in the future
0: right it almost sounds like a scenario where you're like uh so when the electrician is asking where do you want your plugs you'd be like um every stud so what, Every 16 inches? <laughs>
1: yeah. How many did you bring with you? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> right. Well, and that's the thing. I, I mean, I said it wasn't too pricey, but the if you get those big generator plugs, the 220 generator plugs, those can actually add up pretty quickly. Yeah, they get expensive. But you got the electrician there. You know, you're paying for his time. It's not going to take that much longer to wire up a couple extra outlets. Um, yeah. And the more
2: outlets you use,
1: the more you save on drywall. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You just exactly. less total weight of drywall. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
0: Cool. <laughs> of course, if you're having somebody do the drywall and they're like, I got to cut another hole here. Jeez. $5, heck? please. All right, man. We'll just up. call this the Swiss drywall. <laughs> All right. So the, uh, this question came in from Dr. Jim. And Dr. Jim says, I have cut dados in plywood to insert plywood mating members only to have the plywood swell when the glue is applied, preventing the plywood from entering the dado fully, even though it fit fine when it was dry. I've also gone the other way too far, allowing some extra width in the dado, after which a gap appears when the glue dries. Short of a test glue-up, every time one purchases plywood for a project, how does one accurately predict how much play should be allowed in a dado? So when I'm thinking about this question, the, the first thing I always think about, even before the question, is I want my joint to always fit as snug as possible. So I get the idea of you know maybe... The, the, the whole thing, like, should you do a, a test glue up with, you know, purchasing plywood or something like that? I, I say no. If you can set up your, your joints so that they're they're nice and snug and by snug, I mean in the perfect world, my joints are going to come together with maybe a, a little bit of difficulty in the sense that maybe a light tap to a whack with my fist or a mallet uh, is going to have the the pieces coming together and then the same thing. As they go apart, that way they're not damaging the component. They just, they fit snug. Like like Samantha and I, when we're spooning, we just fit nice and snug right <laughs> up against each other. Nice. Um, now, I do encounter a little bit of swelling when I apply glue, especially, say, in a dado, and especially uh, with uh, with plywood. Uh, but, again, I'm going to go right back to that original idea of the joint. I, I'm not going to play around with making sure that it's just a little bit extra because I'm going to potentially run into some swelling. I'm going to just work with it. So sometimes that means rather than giving like a light whack to get it in, I know I'm going to have to maybe add a little bit extra exertion on that whack to have it fit. Or sometimes I will find myself, and I had to do this with Madison's uh, dresser that I built earlier this year, Uh, I had to make sure I had some clamps on the side just to make sure that I could pull those things together because I ended up running into some some swelling from the, uh, the materials as they're fitting into the dado. So I, I don't think adding a little extra just for the swelling is, is a very good idea. Just go for that nice, tight joint fit, and it's going to work for you. Just accept the fact that you're going to have some swelling. Now, one thing I'm wondering, though— is usually if there's going to be swelling, it's going to be at the end of the plywood. So for example, I don't know what Dr. Jim was building here, but perhaps it was a fixed shelf being put into the dado. I apply all of my glue in the dados themselves. I don't apply it to the end of the piece that's going to fit into the dado. And I'm wondering if that's where maybe some of the problem might be running into. I I don't know if that's... Hmm. If something other people have run into, like I said, I, I usually expect that there's going to be a little bit of an issue in there, uh, but that that seems to work best for me. So again, to reiterate one more time, just make your joints so that they work, so that they're nice and snug and just, I guess, have a, a bigger mallet on the side of the, uh, <laughs> the bench you for go. you to help nail it into place.
1: <laughs> well, it's also something that you have to be a little bit uh, careful depending on the project itself. There have been times when I have a very long piece that's going into another long piece. So it's a very long groove or a data that's been cut. And if the mm-hmm. plywood that I'm inserting into the dado isn't quite perfectly flat, I need a little bit more wiggle room in order to get that thing in there. So I may have to cut that dado just a little bit wider than is ideal because once I put glue on it, there's no way with an unflat panel that I'm getting that sucker in there You know, so I think you have to take the the situation and and look at the size of the panels, too, and decide how much little extra, you know, breathing room you want to give yourself there. I have
2: to throw in that it also can vary depending upon how crappy your plywood is.
1: (laughs) Yeah, that's true. Good
2: quality plywood is not going to swell. I'm not going to say it's not going to swell, but it's not going to swell nearly as much as the crappy stuff. Um, And a lot of that has to do with the type, uh, not so much the the type of glue, but how the glue was applied in making the panel. Mm. The really cheap plywood, that glue is spread so thin that there's just not a lot of holding power. And yeah, it's just not not good so the really cheap import stuff will swell up like crazy of that's course a, it's already a really moving good point. like crazy anyway so
1: yeah that's a good point Perfect. i never i didn't because i was going to say i don't really have this problem um usually right, the, yeah. the fit of my plywood is the fit even after the glues apply there's not that much time and i don't i find that it doesn't really absorb much moisture so it is interesting that maybe he's using a less expensive uh plywood and it's just sucking it right up and swelling yeah right
2: Definitely yeah, makes more the, variables for the you. The core can play into it a little bit. Like you've got a poplar core over a fur core, but we're talking a little bit. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's poor quality plywood, just everything is wrong with it. So
1: <laughs> maybe Dr. Blame Jim the, blame uh, the plywood. Yeah, maybe Dr. Jim can let us know like what kind of grade plywood he's using, just out of curiosity. Yeah. And that's and when he responds. I bought Dr. it all from Shannon. <laughs> 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 I got it from Sneaky McDinkle nuts, uh, and it's uh it was eighty dollars a sheet.
2: Man, that's another domain name to a register. And that's getting expensive, it's big, isn't it? Nickel nuts. <laughs> <laughs> All um. right. This last email comes from Paul. He says, I have a question about milling boards that have a not visible only on one side of the board. After I run my boards across the joiner, I then move onto the planer, flipping the boards to take passes on both faces. Now, just in case you're not aware, he this has always been known as like a way to keep your boards more stable if you remove even amounts on both faces, so you flip the board and passes on the planer, just in case anyone didn't know why he was doing that. So if there is a knot visible only on one side of the board, I only plane that side. Doing this allows me to keep one face of the board knot free. Is doing this putting these boards at a much greater risk for cupping or twisting as opposed to milling both sides evenly? What do you guys do in this situation? I've run into this quite a lot lately, and um, I I do what you just did. I focus on, you know, getting it down to whatever thickness I need, uh, usually with more of it coming off one Face because you never know like how deep that knot actually goes into the board, so it could be another thirty second of an inch pass on one face, and suddenly there's a knot poking through on the other face. So I'll try to take off as much as I can off the face with a knot. However, you really, I mean, it, you you don't have to be a slave to the thickness. You, you know, if your part, if your your project you're building says you have to have a three quarter inch piece here. What's to say it ends up, you know, a little bit heavy of that. Maybe you don't make that one more pass. Um, if you're starting with a board that is already close to the thickness you need, say if you need the three-quarter board, you're not going to start with a six-quarter piece, you know, or an eight-quarter board where you've got to take a lot of wood off anyway. No matter what you do, the wood's going to move a lot there. So if your rough on board is already relatively close to what you're looking for, you know, to within a a quarter, shall we say, you know, instead of five quarter or four quarter, um, you know, really shouldn't make that big of a difference. And, you know, you've already jointed that one face and we'll say that's the clear face, right? And the knot is the rough face. So you run the board through um, with the knot up in the planer and it's taken wood off there. If it if you still got skip, it hasn't covered the whole thing. I would run it through again with the same face up until that face is clear, um, then I would maybe flip it over and run it one more light pass on the jointed face, you know, just to make sure that everything is nice and parallel. And then check your thickness. Where are you? You know, how far away are you really? If you're within, you know, a 16th to maybe even an eighth of an inch, I might just leave it there, you know? Um, look at your design, obviously. There's times when, you know, a little thick board here might look a little wonky, but I I doubt it um, in, the, in that particular instance. So... Yes, there's always a little bit more of a risk that it might move on you, but I think we're overstating it a little bit here too. Um, And there's nothing that says you finish milling it and set it aside for a little while. Put some weight on it and let it acclimate. You should be okay.
1: Yeah, it's not like it's a guarantee. I mean, I do this all the time. I try to flip the boards, but there are just some times where I'm trying to remove a flaw from one side that I will keep going on that one side. And it isn't like the board yeah. just suddenly goes, you know,
0: and right. like cups on <laughs> yeah. me. It's not a guarantee. Alarms go off.
1: You didn't flip the board. <laughs> yeah, it's just the best practice sort of thing. Right. So,
0: yeah, you know, it's funny because I remember one of the first times I did this and, and falling into that trap of like, oh my gosh, if I don't flip it exactly the same number of times, I'm going to have this issue. As the board was coming out of the thickness planer, I expected the second it got past that last roller that it would just boing right back right. up into the shape, you know, and it's like, oh, it didn't. It yeah. stayed flat. And if I go look at that piece right now and in, in the project itself, it's still flat. And I don't know how that happened.
1: It's still looking good. Because right. Somebody
0: told me that it wouldn't be.
1: It was Shannon, I'm sure.
0: I blame Glenn Huey. I think he's the one
2: that started that whole thing.
1: Oh, Glenn. (laughs) Silly Glenn. Jeez. What are you doing? I used to
2: like
0: that guy.
1: (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, if you want to support the show, you can. You just go to woodtalkshow.com, look in the right hand column, and you'll see some links for donations. And uh, you could also get yourself a Woodtalk t shirt at twwstore.com. And as I'm uh, trying to stifle a burp, uh, head to iTunes, leave us a review there if you'd like to. Just look us up in the store, click on ratings and reviews, and give us a sweet five star rating, just like WW Wannabe would, I guess, woodworking wannabe uh, says the best. I get tingly when I hear the opening organ riff, knowing that I'm going to learn uh, more cool stuff from the crew. Keep up the great work, and we have another one here that we want to read because look, we got to be fair and balanced, right? So we don't have all five star reviews. We do occasionally get. You know, something less than that. So we did get a two-star review from from Hayton Podcast, who says, waste of time. Matt, do you have a problem with that spelling?
0: Yeah, um, it's waste in time. So W-A-I-S-T, as in my waste is in time with the aerobics on TV. Nice. Oh, so we're sweating to the oldies now. Sweet. Yes, yeah. So well, anyway. rather than waste, is in throw that away, so I'm just going to go ahead and just throw this one away. <laughs> okay.
1: Well, he says uh, he or she don't know. It says, Mark's okay, so I'm, I'm good. I'm good. But, <laughs> You're good. But Matt doesn't know <laughs> when to shut up. Wastes a lot of time talking about their projects, what their projects are. I think, perhaps, he thinks you guys are the same person. He doesn't even mention Shannon. So if he thinks you're the same person, then there is a Maybe very- Maybe he hasn't
2: gotten that far. That's you know? true, Maybe too. Maybe started at <laughs> episode one. Maybe, but it would-, it would you know, Keep listening, He gets better.
1: Yeah, so <laughs> what I was curious, though, with a name like Hayton Podcast, what else has he reviewed? And uh, So you can do that on iTunes if you didn't know that, see what other people, uh, what podcasts they reviewed. He gives Trailer Park Boys- A one-star review. It's labeled as an explicit podcast, but he says, The Language, just another trash-talking couple that uses the F-bomb over and over. Okay, Uh, 360 Woodworking, speaking of Glenn Huey, uh, says not a lot of info. Had to unsubscribe due to their silly introduction. Two stars. (gasps) The Joe Rogan Experience, another explicitly labeled podcast. He's upset with the potty mouth and the language for no reason. And uh, I guess, what's this, Lady to Lady? Another explicit one, and he gives it one stars. Uh here's the thing, just a heads up, if it says explicit, generally speaking, you should expect curse words. That's how iTunes works, right? right. Um but yeah. I think he's living up to his name, hating podcasts. I maybe he just doesn't like podcasts. <laughs>
0: right, exactly. That's what I'm thinking. Does he have a, a, an alias like Love Podcast and that's the ones that he's giving out four <laughs> and you five know. star
1: reviews possibly? <laughs> that could be. It. And you know what? Hey, we're we're having fun here, obviously. We don't get right. uh, we don't get um you know, two-star, one-star reviews very often. So it's fun to talk about them. But hey, you know what? Give us an honest review. You know, we always ask for the five-star review, but you know, it's up to you to do <laughs> do what you think is appropriate. We may not read it on the show like this, but uh, this one was just fun to read. So it's all good.
0: It was absolutely. And I'm not sure that he was actually talking about you, Mark. Because it was Mark with a K. Could be someone so, else. I think that's what yeah. you were on vacation once, and we had uh, uh, Mark somebody else come in well, and he said I'm, and, o-, he
2: said, know, he I'm okay he might not even be talking about you Matt he could be talking about the last show and he could thinks be. that Matt Cermona is a waste of time
1: now ultimately I choose oh, to believe that I'm in the clear I'm fine and you guys suck so well I wasn't mentioned at all so <laughs> you're not even worth being mentioned how about that <laughs>
0: I shouldn't be speaking right now <laughs> Oh, very cool. <laughs> I love the, the whole thing about they talk too much about their projects. Oh, my God. Like, we only have a whole segment dedicated to it. And uh, <laughs> that's kind of what we do with a woodworking show, isn't it?
1: Oh, it's all good. Well, that two star is going to go down to one star now, uh, thanks to this. Um, <laughs> <Nice>. <laughs> all right. More <laughs> of
0: those just for karmic balance. <laughs> yeah.
1: All right, Matt. How about you give them the contact info and we'll get out of here.
0: All right. Hey, folks, do you have a comment, question, topic, suggestion? There's several different ways to contact us. Leave us a voicemail on Skype. Our username is WoodTalkOnline. Our Whoa, wow, I've only gone for a week and I can't even how to figure out how to do this. Call our voicemail line at six two three two four two five one eight zero. Email us at kickback at woodtalkshow.com or leave us a comment on our Wood Talk Facebook page. And if you're looking for the show notes or downloads from today's show or previous episodes, you're gonna find those over at Woodtalkshow.com. And remember, the three of us have our own individual websites, in case you don't remember that. There's Mark over at the TheWoodWhisperer.com. There is uh, Shannon over at the TheRenaissanceWoodworker.com. And there's me over at MattCermona.com. Wait, no, that's not right. It's <laughs> Matt'sBasementWorkshop.com.
1: Well done, sir. I like that. Well
0: done.
1: Cool. All right. Well, thanks for listening, everybody. And we'll catch you next time.
0: See ya. I'm the original Matt.